Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Doug and Denise should do that every week. Am I right? Come on. So good. So next week is Baptism Sunday, and uh, I I just want to invite you, if you have not been baptized, uh, in the words of Nacho Libre, why you have not been baptized? Um, Really, in in all seriousness, listen, if, if your faith is in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized... Then, then you have not taken the next step that the Lord desires from your life. So once your faith is in Jesus, your next step is not join a small group. It's not join a team. Uh, it's not tithe. It's not like go out and serve hot dogs in a park. When your faith is in Jesus, your very next step is baptism. And so if you're in the house and you, you, you love the Lord, your faith is in him, but you haven't been baptized, I just want to extend the invitation to you. Um, be, be, be baptized, and that's next Sunday. You can sign up online on our website, or uh, you could just show up and surprise us, and we're good with that too. We have uh, towels, and we got uh, shorts, and we got T-shirts, and we got makeup, and we got deodorant, and we got gold bond. Like we're gonna, we'll help you. We'll help you. Uh, so <laughs> good. Um, listen, this uh, this Sunday is really a special Sunday, and it's it's special because. Uh, we have some friends in town, and uh, I, I just don't think we should do life alone as individuals. And I think churches should also not become islands to themselves. They should, they should do life with other groups and other people. And uh, we've been able to develop a, a friendship with a really amazing uh, family of believers in uh, Tri-City, Washington, pastored by Matt and Lisa Malt, and they're here today. Pa- pa- pastor Matt and Lisa and, and Abigail, their daughter, would you guys stand for a second so we can see you guys? <laughs> Love you guys. It's awesome. And last, last year, Pastor Matt spoke l- late fall sometime, maybe early winter for us, and for me, it was probably the, not probably, it was the most impactful message that I had heard last year, uh, just very, very hard heart message for me. And uh, so we were really excited to have them back. And so, uh, Pastor Matt, I want you to come and uh, minister the word of the Lord and have your liberty and do your thing. Come on. We love you. Let's go. That's me. All right. Thank you so much. Nothing like being cheered for. I, you know, if you want to try it again, you can later. Uh, man, it's, it's really great to be here. Again, I, I, we uh, really enjoy your pastors. They're becoming good friends, and uh, we love this church. feels like home for uh, my wife and I, 
except that it's in Idaho and it feels even kind of better sort of in some weird way. Come on, Idaho. Uh, so we love that. And I'm excited to share with you today. We um, just want to honor your pastors and your team. You've got a great team, all the volunteers and the leaders that lead here. It's phenomenal. You guys are in a good place. And uh, they took us to dinner last night and we got fish tacos and I'm, I'm 51 uh, and I know you're looking at me and you're just like, I can't believe it. It's true. And, uh, and so my hearing is not as good as it used to be. So we're sitting down and, and they come in and they have two kids. And Lisa says, don't you, how many kids do you have? And Kim says, we have three, but only two kids are there. And so we're like, Where, where's the other child? And they said, uh, and I thought Kim said, uh, in France. And she said, at a friend's, but I'm thinking in France, I'm thinking, what did that kid do to deserve? Oh, we sent him to France. You know what I'm saying? Uh, which reminded me of the fact that, like, uh, I don't know if your parents ever cussed or said bad words. I know we're in church, but let's just be honest. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents would always, if they would say a bad word, they'd be like, excuse my French. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? And so I'll never forget the day, I think it was second grade, when my teacher went around the room at the beginning of class and said, all right. Does anybody know any French words? And I, I, it was a big day in the life of Matt Malt in school. So anyway, all right. Going to share with you um, a message today about uh, kind of coming out of the fog of the last couple of years. America's been weird. The world has been weird. And I've been praying, God, um, what are you doing? And would you just begin to give us some clarity moving forward and and I, I actually believe this. I think that the church is going to shine brightest in the next couple of years. And I think that the, God has cleaned house. There's been some things, got some priorities back in order that needed to be, got some things cleared out. I think we've done a, a good beginning of repentance. We need to keep going. We need to preach the truth and the scriptures clearly. And I think God wants to reestablish church as a leader and a voice in society that helps society. And so I want to share with you what I felt like God began to speak to me. Uh, God began to speak to me about the life of Joseph this year. So we started the year, did a 21-day prayer and fasting thing. And, um, and in that, I was like, Jesus, would you just give me some clarity for 2022, what you're doing? Give me a scripture, something. And, and, I, and at the end of that time, uh, I felt like God began to download some things to me. And there was a scripture that just jumped off the page well off my phone at me and I was like this is the verse for this year for me and I'm going to share that with you today uh, the life of Joseph um, is an amazing story it's one of the characters in the Old Testament in the Bible historically Joseph uh, saved the known world really uh, from a famine that affected the whole world and so he is a Jewish boy uh, but he is he was sold out by his brothers he was trafficked and now he lives in Egypt goes up through an incredible life, and becomes the head of Egypt under the Pharaoh there. And in that, he's able to actually provide food for not just the nation of Egypt, but for his family and the nations of the world. It was an incredible thing. And I, I began to see that uh, I think God wants to do that with the church where he takes our lives and puts us in places where we actually are going to take care of others uh, in the future. Uh, now, uh, the story, we'll, we'll dive into it. But as uh, Joseph survives through many different trials and things in his life, 
it's an amazing thing. If you, when you go through and you read the book of Joseph, or the story of Joseph, not, I'm thinking the book of Boba Fett, my bad. When you, uh, uh, when you read the, the, the book of Genesis and you get to the story of Joseph, there's a word that's always connected to him, maybe more than anybody else, and that word is favor, which really just means like the goodness, the beauty, the, the smile of God on somebody, and Joseph had the favor of God upon his life. It didn't choose it. It wasn't because he was better than anybody. In fact, he was an unlikely hero. But that's how God does it. He picks our lives and goes, I'm going to put favor on my people. And it's a beautiful thing. So here's the scripture that stood out to me. I want to share it with you today. It's in Genesis 45. It says this. And, and Joseph at this point is speaking to his brothers that have come down from the land of Canaan to buy food as they're starving from, from Egypt. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. Now listen to how, what God did in his life. He has made me a father to Pharaoh the leader of the, of the world and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's an incredible story. Amen to God's word. Come on. Amen. Four, four things I'm going to kind of develop and try to preach to you today. One is, is that as I began to just ponder upon this stuff, God's sovereign, like he's in charge. Nothing takes him by surprise. He knows what's coming. He's not surprised by what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Come on, there is nothing that God's like, oh my gosh, I did not think of that. What are we going to do, right? He's sovereign. He's in control. Number two, God sends you and I into situations that we might not have chosen, but it's not for us. It's because God's trying to tell a greater story than the story of our individual lives. But God sends us ahead of our brothers in life. Number three, God shows favor to his people. Listen, some of us have been through some things. Some of us have gone through some things that we didn't deserve, didn't want, didn't choose. And yet in that, somehow God has said, I know you've been through it, but in the middle of that, I'm going to put my favor on you, and you're going to see some amazing things happen. It's unearned, and it's given to unlikely heroes like you and me. Fourth thing I felt like God was showing me in this as I pondered this and prayed through it is that God's purpose is always, he does stuff in our lives not even so much for our life, but because he wants to save a great multitude of people. He wants to rescue Nampa, Idaho. He wants, this church is not big enough. He wants to fill this church and every church in this area with people that are not in church today, staying at home, watching NASCAR, doing whatever, sleeping in, hungover, don't have a life, don't want to go back to work tomorrow, they don't have a purpose, and they're dying without God in their life. God cares about those people, and what he's doing in your life and in my life is not just for us, it's for them. All right, we're going to go on a little journey here time-wise. Are you with me? Let's go on a little historic journey. We're going to dial the clock back two years to a painful part of American history, uh, the spring and winter of 2020. Are you ready? January 21, 2020. The CDC confirms the first U.S. coronavirus case, which, is a, which was in Washington State, my, our state. So proud of my state. Uh, same day, January 21st, the Chinese scientists confirmed that COVID-19 can have human-to-human transmission. Two days later, January 23rd, 
China, in an unprecedented move, closes off the Wuhan province and another surrounding province. 11 million people were just shut down by a national government. It was a massive move. It kind of stirred the world into going, okay, something's (laughs) maybe bad here. February 2nd, global air travel is restricted. February 3rd, U.S. declares public health emergency. We had gone from one case, the one in Washington State, 12 days later, we're at 9,800 cases. On March 8th, Sunday, it was a Sunday, and and our church in Tri-Cities launched into four services. Things were good. We were like, we're just like celebration church. Like we were like, woohoo, right? And we were like, things are great. People are coming. It was party time, and it was amazing. That was March 8th. The next Sunday was our first video service. It was awful. Okay, in between that, on that Wednesday, Lisa and I had flown to Denver, Colorado. We're at a, uh, a pastor's conference, and all of a sudden, our, our phones keep uh, pinging us with news headlines. Uh, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Airlines stop all international flights. NBA, the NBA shuts down. Schools close. Disneyland closed. I was like, this is getting serious. And we didn't know if we were going to be able to fly home from Denver. I said, worst case scenario, babe, we're going to rent a car and I'll drive you over those Rocky Mountains. Come on, somebody. Got to get you home. Uh, and, And then we hit the video service that next Sunday. And that's when everything changed for us. March 13th, Donald, uh, President Donald Trump at the time declares COVID-19 a national emergency, and our Washington state governor, Inslee, announces school closure for six weeks at that point. He bans large gatherings, which impacted churches, and 10 days later, the governor issues this really creative stay home, stay healthy order for two weeks to flatten a curve. Remember that? Remember, oh, it's two weeks. We're going to be good. Uh, and that was not what happened. It was a weird season, and as you think back, like I did, I actually got a little anxiety going through the stages and all the new announcements and all the different things. Now, some of you are looking at me crazy because you're like, we're in Idaho. We're free. We don't even care what's going on in the rest of the world. I get it. You're Idahoans. You do what you want. I live in the People's Republic of Washington, okay? So we had craziness, but we did a thing. I remember um, things were running out of stock. I love Costco. I love it. It's like Jesus, my family, Star Wars Costco. Do you know what I'm saying? In my, that's my life. And when they ran out of toilet paper for weeks, I was nervous. Like, I'm like, what is going on in the world? And why toilet paper? I remember that um, a guy in our church, he, he, he shows up at my house. He goes, Pastor, do you got a gun? And I said, no, I, I don't have a gun. He goes, I'm buying you a gun. The world's about ready to go to you know, go crazy. You need a gun. And I thought, okay. So he buys me a gun. But then I couldn't buy bullets anywhere. There was no bullets. So I had this shiny gun, you know, but no bullets. And it was the weirdest thing. Starbucks started running out of things for a while. The Starbucks in our town, they didn't have lids. Then they didn't have like stoppers. And then they ran out of the sausage wraps. And now all they have, if you notice, is the spinach feta crap garbage Wrap, where's the meat wrap? Can we, we just need to intercede for God to move. Anyway, things got weird. Lisa and I decided to start a TV show for our church called Monday Night with the Molts. And so 
we did that and just kind of tried to make light of the scenario. Couldn't get a haircut. You don't realize when things are shutting down, but haircuts are kind of important at a certain point. So you get a month in and I'm like, I look bad. And Abby, my daughter, who's here with us, she's like, Dad, I'll cut your hair on Monday night with the molts. This created a certain amount of strife between us as she carved ledges accidentally into my hair. And I'm like, no. And then, you know, I was, it, was a, it was a bad time. It was a rough time. In those two, uh, two years, the American lifestyle was kind of thwarted, and we didn't respond well. For instance, people in my church um, that had been clean and sober for years relapsed. And uh, it was heartbreaking to them and to me and all of everybody who was supporting them. I had marriages in our church that broke apart, including marriages that I did the wedding. And that was heartbreaking to watch. And people went into isolation. People really got different. And um, mental health concerns began to rise in a crazy amount. People were not doing well. Anxiety and depression got to an all-time high. And it was really a bad situation. And even to this day, I'm going to read you some stats, but counselors are overwhelmed. There is not enough care for people that are hurting in our nation right now. And everything became divisive. Everything was an issue. And it just it felt like America got broken half. And so in this time, uh, I, I remember because counseling had had a really good impact on me, in 2018, I um, got some Christian counseling and really put me on a path of going, okay, I need to care for what's going on in my soul. And in fact, I just want to say that like, when I retire from pastoring, what I want to do is get my counseling license. And as a Christian man of God, I want to help men with their deepest pain because men just keep everything inside and don't have tools and know how to do anything. Men have two emotions. I'm angry and I'm hungry. And that's it. But there's other things going on and men don't know how to deal with it. But come on, God wants to do work inside our souls so that we can get well, so that we can give something well to other people. All right. So anyway, as I've been tracking this stuff, here's some in uh, last month. No, not last month now. It's been two months. In December of 2021, New York Times quotes uh, a big, massive study on, on psych, uh, you know, counselors and caregivers. Several therapists describe a second pandemic of mental health problems that's going to hit America. Another quote, it might be some years before we have some sense of normalcy in mental health care for children. Some of the kids in some of the states have been away from people for so long, they're struggling intensely. It's going to affect the future of our nation. One counselor said, I believe I will be helping people navigate the effects of the pandemic for the rest of my career. Then I read this report, and this is what stayed with me. It said the crisis is like an iceberg. We are just seeing the tip right now, but the impact will surface in our nation over the next five years. I have this in my head, and that's why I think when I read this scripture and just my daily Bible reading, it just jumped out at me when Joseph says to his brothers, there's been a famine across the land these two years, and there will not be normal for the next five years. It was like God was just getting my attention going, what I did in Joseph's time, I'm going to do it in the church today. What is God doing all this? I began to, um, last year and a half, really kind of felt like this. I thought either I'm going to get a hold of God or I'm going to lose my faith in God. So I decided to get a hold of God. 
And it was some weird, foggy, dark moments, but I just began to pray more, just began to read books on how to get a hold of God. Like, I'm a pastor, but I'm like, I need Jesus for my own faith, and I need Jesus for the church. And Jesus began to do something in me and going, Jesus, I need you to help me so I can help and give bread not just to my church, but to the world as they come looking for answers when the crisis is there. And I learned these four things over the last several months, those things I read to you before, but they're, they're real. God's sovereign. He's in charge of our lives. And God sent me to where I'm at right now. Like, listen, God could have put anybody in Tri-Cities. There was a moment where I'm like, God, do we close down? When you go from over 1,000 people on a weekend and you open up your doors and you have a service and there's like 123 people, you just go, maybe I'm, this is not the right career choice. You know, and then you have to go back. God, did you call me? Yes. Okay, but this is hard. And I had to end up going, God, at some point I got to trust that you could have had me born in another day, another era. You could have put other people here, but you put me in leadership. You put this people in Nampa, Idaho. You put them in this church, in this time in history. God actually sent you here. You are not a mistake. You weren't born at the wrong time. You are where God has you. And the struggles you're facing is because God sent you ahead of your brothers so that you could get figured out what needs to get going on so you have something to give when they come in and ask. And then God shows favor. At times, God shows favor to unlikely candidates, and it's an amazing thing. Yeah. We'll dive into that a little bit more, but, and God wants to save a lot of people. Here's Joseph's story. I'm going to walk you through the story of Joseph real quick to set the stage, and then we'll wrap up, okay? And uh, so Joseph, uh, his story is this. If, if you've been around the Bible or heard it, you may have heard how God is referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Anybody, some of you may know that. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is also named Israel because God changes his name, and that nation of Israel came from that out of that family line, and Israel, or Jacob, has 12 sons, but he has 10 sons, and in his old age, his lovely wife, Rachel, he, he bears him a son named Joseph, and he's the 11th son, and Joseph becomes the favored son. Now, usually the firstborn is the favored in that culture, but for whatever reason, Jacob favors Joseph. Maybe it's because it was in his old age, maybe because it was like, I didn't think I could have any more kids, and then he has another brother named Benjamin, uh, after that, the 12th one. And so here is the story of Joseph's life. And as he's born, Jacob shows him favor in front of the other kids. Now, listen, if you're a dad in here, pay attention. Just I'm going to help you. you don't, don't ever, if somebody says to you, which of your kids is your favorite? It's a trap. That is a trap. You can't win. You just shake your head and go, I'm hungry and angry. And you're fine. That's all you need. Um, and, and yet Jacob showed favor to Joseph made him a coat with, with uh, extra colors, and it was a, an outward symbol of what Jacob the father saw in his son's life because Joseph also was having dreams. And Joseph would say, hey, I had this dream, and it's these wheat sheaves of wheat gathered together, and uh, every, all the other wheat sheaves were bowing down to mine. And uh, that's not a dream you'd likely want to share because of the older brothers are like, we hate you, you know? And then he has another dream, and uh, and he shares this kind of stuff, but he was a dreamer, but he was favored. And so this is the story of Joseph. Joseph has this dream. The brothers decide to kill him and bury him one day. 
Joseph goes out to help his brothers as they're doing their ranch work with their flocks of goats and, um, you know, other animals. Kind of a city guy. I don't know what they're doing. They're out there, you know, scooping poop and like, uh, eat over here and go. I don't know what they were doing. They were doing their stuff. And so the brothers say, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him in a pit and they'll, they'll, they'll be no, none the wiser. And one of the brothers says, no, we can't kill him. That'll ruin our father. He'll just be so upset. So then he says, I'm going to come back and I'll rescue him out of the pit. Meanwhile, one of the other brothers goes, let's not just kill him. Let's make some money on this deal. It really goes from bad to worse. And so there's traders that are on their way to Egypt and they say, let's at least make some cash and get rid of him. They take his coat of blessing off of him. And they dip it in goat's blood and take it back to dad and say, we think your son must have gotten killed by wild animals. And the dad is just wrecked. Meanwhile, Joseph gets sold on his way to Egypt. And the brothers thought they uh, had hidden the evidence. But Joseph goes on to survive. Now listen, Joseph is thrown in a pit. But God's favor is on Joseph in the pit. You know how I know that? Because he didn't die. They didn't kill him. God wouldn't let him. Now, he's in a pit, but he's alive. Now, I know by scientific evidence that most of the people in this room right now are still alive, right? And if you're still alive, that's the favor of God on your life. If you're still breathing, God ain't done. He's got plans for you. And it's the favor of God. So he gets sent uh, and he gets bought. His brothers traffic him. He gets bought by the army general. So Egypt is the world power at the time. The, 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 key, the, the guy in charge is called Pharaoh, but the, probably the next most important guy is this guy named Potiphar, who's the, in charge of the army of, of Egypt. Potiphar buys him, and as he begins to t- make him as a slave, do work around his house, he sees what Jacob saw. And he goes, there's, there's a favor of the divine on your life, and everything you do is blessed. So Potiphar ends up going, I'm going to put you in charge of my entire household. And the Bible says it this way. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he attended him and he made him the overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. It was an incredible thing. Listen, if God is with you and I, it doesn't matter where we go. That place is going to be blessed Because we're there and God's favor is on us and we're still alive. Bible says that his Holy Spirit lives in us. And everywhere our feet go, God goes and it belongs to us. And all the kingdoms of the world are going to become the kingdoms of our God. So we represent the future of what God is going to do. And everywhere we go, no matter what situation we're in, and no matter who is oppressing us, God has got favor on our life. So here he is. He's in that house. And then Potiphar's wife thinks he's handsome, makes a pass at him. He runs away like a good Christian boy. But she accuses him, and so Potiphar's got a side with his wife. Potiphar throws him in the prison. Now listen, I don't know. I don't know where I would have given up. But my family rejects me and throws me in a pit, and I can hear them talking about killing me. Then I get sold, and they made money on me. Then I get put into slavery, and I'm working for somebody else, and I'm blessing his house, and everything's going good, but it has no benefit for me. And then I go from that into the prison, and I'm like, God, I remember I wasn't choosing this, but you gave me a dream. And I don't know, I don't, I'm so far away from what the dream and what you said you were going to do in my life. 
I, I would have given up at that point. He's in the jail, and because the favor of God is on him, <laughs> everything in the prison starts going good. The prisoners get help. The head guy of the prison goes, you know what? I can see that the divine favor of God is on your life, and he gets put in charge of the entire prison system. It's an amazing story of what goes on with his life. And in that moment, something happens. A couple of the dudes that are prison mates of his have some pretty bad dreams, pretty significant. And Joseph is like, I had some significant dreams. And he goes, I know that God is in charge of that kind of stuff. Tell me your dreams and I'll tell you what they mean. And they share with him and Joseph, who will not lie, goes, well, your dream means you're going to die. Your dream means you're going to live. <laughs> he might not have been popular, but he was honest. And when the guy goes back up, that's the cupbearer to Pharaoh, he works for Pharaoh. He says this to him in a desperate attempt to further along the plan of God on his life. He says, would you just remember me? And the guy says, yes, thank you for telling me my dream. I will remember you. He gets up there and he doesn't remember him. There's a party that Pharaoh is throwing and he forgets. A couple of years go by. Joseph is still in prison. Pharaoh has some bad dreams. And Pharaoh freaks out and he goes, get me somebody that can tell me what I dreamt and what it means. And he knows that it wasn't a normal dream. And so as he's doing this, the cupbearer goes, uh, I remember, I, I know a guy, you know? Oh, yeah, he was my prison mate, you know? And so he tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh goes, bring him up. They, they sh he shaves, they give him a bath, put on some clothes, and they put him in front of Pharaoh. And if he doesn't get it right, he's going to die instantly. But the hand of God is on Joseph. And Joseph, at this point, goes, I'm already dead to my own wishes anyway put me in front of Pharaoh. And he says some, some interesting things. He says, God is the giver of dreams and God is the one who interprets them. It's not in me. It's in God. I will tell you your dream and I will tell you what it means. And it was an incredible moment. And he begins to tell him, these dreams, Pharaoh, mean that you're going to have seven years of plenty and prosperity, followed by seven years of lack and devastation and a famine. And what you need to do is find somebody who's wise enough to take these next seven years and collect 20% of everybody through a tax of all the grain so that there'll be food for the seven years. So the nation of Egypt will survive and be able to sell and actually prosper in that time as they sell their grain to the other nations. And this is how Pharaoh responds to Joseph. This is the leader of the free world, if you will, at the time. Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. You shall, uh, all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have put you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring, put it uh, from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, put on a gold chain about his neck, Yo, that brother was rolling. Things were turning around. I was at the bottom, now I'm here. Come on, somebody. And he was like, yeah. And so now the, 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 the 11th born son of a Hebrew farmer is in charge of everything in the whole world. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. I'm, I'm going to tell you that, that sometimes 
we just need to look at our lives, and you need to know that what you're going through right now, God's hand might be in it. And you might be like, I'm three years into a divorce. I'm four years into a bankruptcy. I'm five years in. I'm six months out of recovery. I'm just like my life is not where I want it to be. I want you to know that God still has favor on your life. God is sovereign. God's in charge, and he sent you. And in some mistakes we make ourselves, but some of the things that happen to us, you just go, God, it seems so unfair. Maybe God is just not telling you, but he's got a plan. And just because you don't know what's going on doesn't mean that God doesn't know what's going on. And maybe God is going to bring some purpose in your pain. Maybe he's going to bring some exaltation in your life where there was humiliation. Maybe some of you have been in dire straits, but you're going to lead to some higher heights in the future. Come on. Let me just wrap up with those four points, a few thoughts. Back to God is sovereign. It means that he reigns. That's the word, sovereign. He's the, he reigns over everything. He's in charge of everything. He's in charge of our lives. What happened to you and what happened to me, it does not surprise God. God is in charge of the timing. When Joseph got a hold of this and realized the dream wasn't for him, the dream was for saving people in the world, and he's talking to his brothers, he says, these two years, and then there are these five years yet coming. He began to understand God's got a plan, and he's in charge of this stuff. Listen, I, I'm telling you that, that the church just, I think, worldwide, maybe at least in, nationwide, we haven't really known, God, what are you going to do? Is church going to make it through? And what's going to happen? I think God might be setting us up for revival. I think God might be getting us ready and getting things right and causing us to repent of the things that we've done wrong, hidden sins, bad mindsets, not tithing, not praying, not being faithful to church, not serving, getting our hearts right, going, God, you're going to be first in my life. You're going to be first in my sexuality, first in my finances, first in my time frame. Everything is going to belong to you. And God, I just want to get it right. No matter what you do to me, you are sovereign, and so I'm going to serve you. And when that happens, it's a setup for God to then pour out favor in the next season. Let me just say it this way. Our fogginess for the future isn't an indication of God's oversight. A little history with God builds trust. Come on, I'm 51 years old. I'll be 52 in June. And, uh, and so, you know, so the, raise your hand if you're my age or older. Come on, what a bunch of wonderful people in this church. And uh, one of the benefits that older generations have is some of us have been through some stuff and seen God get us through. And when that happens, it, 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 we can pass faith down to the younger generations. Y'all might be young and have cooler tattoos and better jeans than I do, but I'll tell you what, maybe your faith is still struggling because you haven't seen God do everything that he can do. I want you to know that God is faithful, but you don't know what you don't know. When we were, when we were driving up here, we're driving down I-84, and uh, I, I said it in October, but it's, it just hit me again. There's this beautiful moment on I-84 where the big sign, welcome to Idaho. The very next sign says, speed limit, 80 miles an hour. <laughs> it was just like God's country, right? Uh, and it's just a wonderful thing. Anyway, as we're driving through, I'm, I'm telling uh, Abby, you know, because my mom did this to me, and and so I'm like, oh, look, cows. Oh, look at that, a farm. And, you know, just kind of giving a tour guide. And I we come up to this place, and I don't know if it's the Rocky Mountains or not, but I said, oh, man, look at those huge mountains. 
Maybe that's uh, the beginning of the Rocky Mountains. Or, and Abby goes, um, oh, yeah, Dad, now those are famous, right? I said, yes. She says, now, what are they, why are they famous? Which boxer? And I said, what, which boxer? She goes, yeah, there's like some boxer that's from there. I said, do you mean Rocky Balboa? And she, she starts laughing. I almost wrecked the car. Laughing so hard because, listen, if you didn't grow up with Rocky Balboa, you just don't know, right? What I'm saying is this. I'm old enough to testify to you today that if you're here, God's not done. He's sovereign, and he can get you through what you're going through. But when he gets you through what you're going through, it's not for you. It's for his purpose. All right, God's sovereign. Number two, God sends us into situations. What I have found is that people who go through certain things become incredible gifts to other people who are going through those same things. And so somebody who's been through some addiction, in fact, in the recovery community at my church, they're some of the most loyal people around. And, and what happens is when you spend your life wrecking your own life and everything's taken from you, and God rescues you out, doesn't let you die, and you don't have anything left, but you're like, I'm just going to help some other people. And I'll do what I can. I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to sponsor. I'm going to help. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to send notes. I'm going to be there for them. And, and in doing that, man, I, 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 didn't, I wouldn't have had it in me. But, but when you come out of that, you become loyal to that. And you go, I know what pain that's like. When somebody's lost a child, when somebody's gone through a divorce, when, listen, some of the pain that we've gone through, God might have actually caused us to go through it so that we could minister to somebody else that's going through it and be a rescuer. God sends us into situations for his own purposes. Rick Warren said this, your greatest misery, or ministry, excuse me, <laughs> your greatest ministry will likely come from your deepest pain. Some of you right now are in pain mode, pain season. And if you can get a hold of God and not give up on your faith, God will get you through and cause you to be a blessing to other people who are going through a similar thing. My friend uh, Doug Lassett, I, I had read that scripture, you know, that I shared with you. And, and uh, it really began to just work inside my spirit. God just began to just speak into me. And I had like four people send me scriptures and, and texts. And, and prayers and prophecies all about Joseph. It was a wild month. I read that scripture, and then God just began to confirm it. My friend Doug Lassett came to our church, and he's prophesying over me. And he says, you're going to be like Joseph. And I'm like, were you in my bedroom when I was reading that Bible? He's like, you know, it was one of those weird, like, and he kept just like, you're going to be like Joseph. And what you've been through, he goes, and, and I wrote this part down. I went back and found the videotape from two weeks ago so I could write this down. This is what the Lord says through Doug Lassett as he prophesied to me. He says, the Lord says that you have heard God's voice and you've seen the dream that put you in the pit. It was the dream that put you there and it's the dream that brought you out. Listen, when I had the, the dream to church plant, I just, all I could see was glory. 
stadiums filled with people getting saved, revival, and I'm just like, you know, preaching and looking amazing, you know, or whatever. And, and God is like, yeah, I gave you that dream, but there's a lot to get through until you get there. And, and Doug was saying the truth of Scripture is this, that the dream that God has for your life, it'll get you into some pits and into some prisons and into some Potiphar's house, but it'll also get you into the palace and into the purpose of God. And so you got to know that where you're at in life right now is not the end point for what God has for you. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody right now. And you got to know that God is for you. I didn't drive four hours to see the maybe Rocky Mountains. I came to preach this to somebody, to give you some hope, to tell you to not quit. Don't give up. T.D. Jakes, he said this, when you're born, you're like a key with no cuts in it. And as you go through life, each wound, each failure, each hurt cuts into that strip of metal. And one day there's a clear click. Your pain has formed the key that slips into the lock and opens your future. Perry Noble said this, the level of the size of the vision given to you by God is in direct proportion to the pain that you are willing to endure. Can I just preach something else for a second real quick? The dream that God wants to give you is not some American dream about bettering your life, getting a, a second house and an RV and a, a, a second gun. That's my dream, you know, and... Uh, God's dream isn't about, you know, a better you. God's dream for your life, you'll know it's God's dream for your life when it's not about you and you weren't looking for it and you weren't like, I want a better prophetic word. I want to I wanna, I wanna be blessed. I want one of those blessing words. When, you, when God gives you a dream, it'll be like, hey, I'm going to get you somewhere for the benefit of somebody else because of the story I'm trying to tell in history, not your history, history. That's the dream that God wants to put in his church. God's trying to do something. All right. I got I to gotta end here quickly. Number three is that God shows favor to unlikely candidates. Yes, pastor. <laughs> but, let's, but I'm going to wrap this up as potently as I can. How many of you are with me right now? You're like, come on. You feel like this is for you. All right. I recognize this, that God shows favor to unlikely candidates. When Joseph, when he shares his second dream to his father, Jacob, and the whole family, about all the, all the um, planets bowing down to him. <laughs> the dad rebukes him and goes, you should not be talking like this. But the Bible also says this. That Jacob, hearing that, hid those words in his heart and thought about them. You know why Jacob thought about them? Because he saw some favor on Joseph. And Jacob himself was the brother to Esau. And in that culture, like I said, it was always the firstborn that got the favor, the lion's share, the inheritance. Esau did not get blessed. God chose Jacob. And so Jacob knows that he shouldn't have made it to where he's at in his life with all his mistakes and everything else. And he wasn't even born in the right order for God to bless him. And so now he has favor on his youngest, one of his youngest sons, Joseph. And so he wonders, maybe God is doing something there. Jacob's own father, Isaac, he was the wrong one too. Ishmael came first, and then God chose Isaac. 
And even Abraham, like, made a bunch of mistakes. And God chooses unlikely candidates. Listen, you might not fit in. You might not be the right color, the right age, the right time. You might think you're in the wrong place. But God shows favor to unlikely candidates. You might not be educated enough. You might have had some failures in your life. But God still shows favor to his people because God chooses to show compassion on whom he chooses to show compassion. I can, I can feel God in this place right now. God's purpose in all of this is to save a great many people, a remnant on the earth, and a great number of survivors. Listen, what God's going to do in your life, your life might be a wreck for the rest of your life, but it might end up being salvation for other people. Some of you are going to give to build this house, and you might not see the thousands that come into it. You might pass on before it happens, but God's going to use your life. God's going to do something in your life for other people. And sometimes we don't, we don't always see it. I wanna, I'll end with this story. My friend Doug that prophesied over me, he told this story a while back. He said that there was a young man in Australia um, who was in, his youth group, in a youth group and uh, just wanted to serve God just a normal kid and wanted to make a difference in the kingdom of God, but um, he was just a young man, so it was a dream for him. What ends up happening is he goes swimming with his buddies. They go cliff diving, and he ends up going off in a wrong place and hits rocks under the water and becomes paralyzed from, from basically his armpits down. His, his hands and his arms still work a little bit, but he's paralyzed. And his life is really over socially for a long time, and Feels useless, doesn't know if God could ever use his life for anything. So what this guy does is he just mopes around his house and plays video games and stuff like that. And, and uh, his dad is kind of wise, and his dad goes, you got to get up, son. It's been eight months, and you got to start doing something. And he's like, Dad, what can I do? Like, I didn't choose this. And his dad kind of keeps trying to barter with him. His dad gets frustrated one day at the excuses of his son who's handicapped. Rolls him into the garage where there's woodworking tools and some wood and an old wine barrel. And he says, I'm not letting you out of here until you make something. Your hands aren't broke. Your mouth is broke, but your hands ain't broke. And he says, you're going to make something or you ain't coming in the house. And uh, looked like cruelty, but it was, it was a catalyst moment. And so this young man doesn't do anything for 24 hours, but then he gets hungry. <laughs> and he's rolling around in his wheelchair in the garage and he's picking up tools he doesn't know how to use. And he looking at, like, I don't know what to make, and he sees the wine barrel, and he kind of goes, oh, that would be a cool chair, and he cuts it out and makes a chair out of it and goes, I want to eat dinner and sleep in my bed, and his dad's like, wow, it's a pretty cool chair. And the kid had some skills with this thing, and so a couple months go by, and they're having a garage sale, and the family comes by, and they see the chair that's not for sale, and go, the guy goes, I really like that chair. Can I buy that chair? I'll give you, like, the equivalent of, like, $300 for it. And they're like, well, yeah, it wasn't for sale, but we'll sell it to you. The guy goes, okay, awesome. He goes, where did it come from? Because I really like it. It fits the motif of a restaurant I own. And uh, he says, oh, my son made it. The son comes out in his wheelchair. He goes, yeah, I made that. And he goes, oh, this is awesome. Could you make more? He goes, well, I could if I had more wine barrels. And he goes, I'll pay you $300 a piece if you'll make me $150. I want to do all the chairs in my restaurant. The kid goes, I can do it. Kid begins to do it. The guy comes back, fills the restaurant, comes back and goes, I didn't tell you this. 
but I have multiple restaurants, and I want to put in a big order. If I can get you the wood, will you make these chairs? And this kid in between those different contracts had said this, God, whatever you do with this money, I want to give it to my youth group so that there can be a revival in my city. The kid ends up doing 150 restaurants worth of these chairs, donates $250,000 plus to his youth group to sow into the future. And a kid who had nothing to live for became the catalyst of a move of God. And I just want you to understand something, that you just, God is with you in your life right now, even if it's foggy. I do feel like it's a prophetic moment, but I think I'm, I'm done. I'm going to let pastor uh, or the team or however, but I think that some of you are going to respond today there's a shift in some of you, and things are going to line up. You're going to stop living for yourself and live for the purpose of God, and it's going to be life to you and life to others. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.